they need to understand if they're really in this for the right reasons because it's going to be a bumpy road it is and if the motivations aren't correct if the desire your why your end game the end state that you want to be in if you don't believe in that enough and if it's not something that's big enough you're never going to survive in business you're going to probably be more uncomfortable than you can ever imagine so the first thing is are you really serious about doing what you're asking to do what you're raising your hand to do i want to be a business owner okay let's understand what that really means it really is a lifestyle because it's probably way more of a long-term building of yourself that results in having a good business more than it is anything else. Because you as a business owner are going to evolve several different times along this journey. And we have to understand that. So as I'll sit with a business owner up front and they tell me what it is that they want to accomplish, not just in business, but life. Are you ready to be the person who's going to be able to handle that responsibility? And then always gives them pause because they don't know who that person is going to be. And I tell them, I can't tell you what's going to be, but I can tell you who it's not going to be who you are today. You are here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. All right, Tony, do you mind telling us a bit about what you do? Excellent. First, thanks for having me, Billy. I appreciate you allowing me to come to share some time with you and your audience. I've been an entrepreneur for 32 years. I currently run two different companies. One is a company that basically covers all of my branding, my book sales, speaking opportunities, things in that public space. And the second one is a global consultancy. It's where I help small businesses with less than 25 team members expand and scale their companies. That's awesome. And so how many companies have you worked with so far for each business, I guess you could say? I would say a good number on both. More on the consulting side over the years, informally and formally. I really love that space. It's something that I'm just very well known to do internally, meaning that it's something that's true to me. So it's very easy for me to deliver the solutions that companies need because it's second nature to me. The speaking and authoring, I just became an author two years ago. So that's still relatively new and still trying mm -hmm. to come to grips with that title. Just when people say author, it's kind of, who are they talking about? Definitely, it's like, uh, it seems like something that somebody like famous would do. <laughs> so it's me, <laughs> it's just, oh wow, I can say that now. Yeah. So that's really cool. And so tell us a little bit about your book. You wrote a book called The Gift of Pain. And so I'd love to hear more about it and what inspired you to write it. Sure. Gift of Pain is a memoir and it details basically snippets of my life, but those times of my life and I felt different challenges and situations I wasn't really sure how to deal with and how to overcome and how to get past them. And it was really me sitting down, taking inventory, trying to figure out how I was going to deal with the situation I was in at that time. So I really wanted to understand, I know I've been through things worse than this. How did I get through those? And we tend to forget. So I started just writing down those situations and it turned into some information that I thought would be helpful to other people. So I figured that after 109,000 words into this diary to myself, I need to organize it 
and it turned out to be 353 pages of my life. And I'm happy to share it with people and I've gotten really good feedback. More than that, though, it's been very therapeutic for myself. So it's not a work of love because I didn't intend on doing it, but it was definitely something that helped. Yeah, definitely. How did you go about that process of figuring out what to keep in the book, what to take out? I assume it was a lot of editing to go from 109,000 words down to 300 some pages. So what was that process like for you? Interestingly, I didn't really take out anything. I Uh didn't. The editor, when I sent it over to her, is a young lady named Jara. I've been working with her for years. She took out almost 100 pages worth of content. <laughs> Save it for the next book. But I didn't hold anything back. I put in there. It was really just a brain dump. So as you can see, I really didn't plan it being for anyone or anything along those lines. It was just really a brain and a heart dump. So I kept everything in that I wanted to express, whether it was vulnerable or embarrassing situations, crazy situations. I just left it all in there. It is what it is. That's my life. Yeah, you're just being raw and authentic with who you are. And that's great. What can somebody, if they're interested in reading the book, what is that overarching high level summary that you might give for somebody who is interested? A couple of different takeaways. One is your current circumstances truly do not dictate what your future is going to be. I think that's a lesson that there's a line that goes through the book, and that's one of the lines. I think the other thing is difficult of a situation as we all face or we're in today, you will get through it. And you don't even have to know how. Just know that the next day, it's going to be one step closer to you healing or one step closer to you achieving something to get you out of that situation you're in. The darkness comes, the uncertainty comes when you just don't know what to do. And that's what we're afraid of is being in a situation. You don't know whether you're going to go left or right. The thing that I've learned throughout all of these situations in my life is you don't have to know that yet because people will come into your life as long as you're open people will come into your life and at the right moment and give you just what you need at that time to help you get through without even knowing they're helping you they'll say something and you'll think wow that was and you'll resonate and it'll resonate with you and it will become something that you'll use to get past that. And then you'll see other little bits and pieces come into your life and you'll be over the thing that you were so terrified of. And maybe it was bad. It probably was if you were really fearful of it. But once you get past it, then you'll recognize the tools that you will have achieved. So that's the second aspect of the book. That's powerful. Yeah. I've done a lot of that, like realizing, looking back, how someone really influenced me in different ways and then also just realizing too you go into some things thinking that you're going to gain one side of things out of it or you're thinking you're going to go there and that it's really not going to have a big impact on you and then all of a sudden somebody says one thing and you're just like whoa like mind blown how did that i didn't even think about that and then now i'm like thinking a whole different perspective so that as some of the stories that you tell in the book yeah many times One of the most successful business deals I was ever a part of as a partnership with another really big company, I fought tooth and nail against that deal. They asked me, me being my company, asked us several times to do business with them because we had a unique skill set. That was it. We weren't, there was nothing special about us. We had something very unique that they needed at that time. It was real simple. And they needed us more than we needed them. And I was like, I don't want to do business with them. That's not really in our space, this, that, and the other. And it was the best relationship we had in business in 30, 29 years. It was the best one. 
And I just fought against it. And when things come my way now, I'm looking for an opportunity. I'm looking for this. And I don't get exactly that, but something else shows up. I always remember, let me just give it a chance. Let me at least sit down and listen to the conversation. Because what I know is that may be more valuable than the thing that I was looking for. So I'm always open-minded. I think that's another lesson, not just in the book, but just in life. Be open-minded, explore opportunities that may not necessarily correlate with what you think you're doing today. And just listen. At least you have the information to make an informed decision at that point. And I've learned that, oh my goodness, Billy, it's been a thousand times. Yeah, definitely. But it makes me think I've been realizing and putting this together and I hadn't really thought about it till now, but I hear a lot of on one side of tips for entrepreneurs, right? Is okay. One side is say no to 99% of things. But then the other side is be open and think and try to explore more and more opportunities. So it's like this opposite relationship that you're trying to mediate between. Um, yes, you have to say no to like literally everything. Steve Jobs and the most successful people, what do they do? They focus on one singular thing as much as they can and you know, get distracted by anything else. But then it's like on the other side of the thing is, oh, are you missing out on new opportunities? There's a beam that goes around on LinkedIn sometimes where you see the guys pulling the trailer and they've got like square wheels. And so it's like going like this and there's a guy next to him that's got a round wheel. And he goes, look now, and they're just like too busy, can't. And they're just like going around on their square wheels. And so it's like the line is starting on that meme is, are you too busy to pay attention to what could exponentially grow your business. I'd love to hear your perspective on that, on like how to mediate in between those two disparate ideas of being singularly focused versus not missing out on opportunities to exponentially grow your business. I'm glad you brought that example up. So let me clarify. You're exactly right, which is I tell business owners that you have to be focused on your mission. There is a time when you need to now take your head up lift your head up and be conscious of things around you. But when you first started out with anything, any career, any relationship, any business, you literally have to be focused in on the goal, focused in on what you're doing. And my first business, I didn't look up for years, 29 years. I passed up everything that came my way. And what I mean by that is not the opportunity we just talked about, because that was still in the tech space. But I would have people present different business opportunities, real estate and other things. And I just shut those down immediately. So the things that I focused on were driven by the industry that I was in and the road that I knew I was already on and our company was on. So the particular engagement that I was referring to was just a different aspect of IT, which we were familiar with. We just weren't doing yet. So that wasn't a far stretch, but you're exactly correct. You have to, there's no way to be a jack of all trades and be very successful. But it's a matter of timing, meaning that later in life, like right now, when I'm saying that things may come my way, I'm still going down an area that I'm very focused on, right? The most recent company is a five-year shelf life. That's it. June, 2028, it's done, right? So I'm very focused on that end date and everything that I have to accomplish between now and then has a limited shelf life. So I'm not going to be distracted when it comes to that particular business. However, I know a lot of people and just like a lot of people and people will bring opportunities your way. It may not necessarily be a business opportunity. It may be an opportunity for some charitable work 
So I will look at those things. I'll keep my head up and be aware that situations and opportunities to help other people and to do some ancillary things will come about. But my main business area, that main business focus, you have to focus in on that in order to have any type of traction. Definitely. So I think what I'm hearing and tell me if I'm on the right track here is that you have your lane that you're in for your business and you've got to stay in your lane. Basically, if something is in your, maybe it's in, say you're going down a four lane highway, you got the opposite direction on the other side, you got your two lanes over here. Maybe it's in the right-hand lane, you're in the left-hand lane. Maybe it's in the right-hand lane, you can. it's still over on your side of the road, right? But then you don't want to go off and veer off into the other side of the road or take an exit or anything like that. You want to stay in your lane for the overall mission of what your business is, but then pay attention to what's over on your side of the highway. Don't get distracted by getting off at an exit or going on the other side of the road kind of thing. Exactly. If you take a brand that everyone knows, Amazon, for example, when Jeff Bezos first started out, it was, how do you sell books online? That was it. That was the only thing they sold were books. And at a certain point, what he realized was he didn't build an online book sales company. What he really built, which people may not recognize today, is he built infrastructure. And now everybody in the world uses his highway, so to speak, to sell their products. And Amazon Web Services is their digital infrastructure and companies use their servers and storage space. Some of the biggest companies on earth, not to sell product, but to actually run their businesses. So that was something came about after a certain period of time. If you would have started out focusing on all of those things, maybe one of them would have hit possibly, but he focused on building this highway, this infrastructure, and look at all of the off-ramps and on-ramps that there are now because of what he did, because he was narrowly focused in the very beginning. Yeah, yeah definitely. Imagine trying to have three wives at once. Oh God, no. People they're... raise, when they're born and they have twins or triplets. It's a lot to manage. It is for sure. Yeah. I remember when my wife had our son, it's a lot for that one little kid, but then put a, another baby in there with them and twins. And that would be, it would be more than double. We've got a lot more else. going on. Exactly. So I'd love to also hear more about how did your speaking business transform into the authoring as well? I guess, give us a timeline, if you will, on your business that you had and then the speaking and the authoring business. How did they transform into one? Yeah, oftentimes with entrepreneurs, what you'll find is they don't necessarily just make a cold, hard decision to get into something. It usually is an offshoot or is usually something that's closely tied to something you've done. And now you want to formalize it a little, do more of it. So over the years in business, I've always had to stand up and speak in front of audiences, whether it was in a conference room with 20 something employees, whether it was in a business meeting, if I was the head of an association, which I was at one point, or I was on board to so have to stand up and present. So all of those things led up to now saying, okay, maybe I can formalize this as opposed to just doing it out of the daily routine that I've had all of these other years. So what I did was I decided to join Toastmasters because I figured I need to now take the raw skills that I had, that I learned organically, and to pair that with a formal process that some of the world's best speakers have gone through. And I learned an extreme amount through Toastmasters International. And then I joined National Speakers Association as well, which helps you develop your business side. So Toastmasters is really helping you to learn the craft of speaking formally, 
NSA teaches you how to grow the business after you already had that in place. So it's just been a natural progression. Same thing with the book. I've been asked to write books many times by clients years and years ago. But here's the thing. They wanted me to write technical manuals. They're like, can you just write that? And I'm like, no, that's not what I do. It wasn't that they were inspired by my life story. I just had a unique set of skills from a technology standpoint when I first started out. And they wanted me to document that. I had no desire to write a tech manual. But then here you are 20 something years later, just pouring out your heart in a book. So it was, I guess it's a speaking and being an author was a natural thing for me. Same thing like helping small businesses. It's natural because I've been a small business. I'm 52. I started in business when I was 21. So the majority of my life I've been doing this. So it's just natural to me. Yeah, definitely. I would love to dive more into your consulting business where you help small entrepreneurs. What do you focus on with them and what's your process that you go through? Yeah, they're existing business owners. And the reason I stress that is because right now what you find on the internet is you'll find a pretty girl, handsome guy that will do a video on how to start an LLC and they'll get a hundred thousand views. And your curiosity has peaked a little. And I'll, let me just look at this real quick. Why is this video so popular? And the information they're given is just horribly wrong. It's terrible. <laughs> Absolutely wrong thing. And I'm thinking, that's just, that's not how it works. No. So that's why I try to start with, not try, but that's why I start with existing business owners. And what I'm looking at are people who are serious about growing and scaling their business. Growing a business is one thing where year over year, you get a little bit more revenue or you hire one more person or you introduce a new product. Scaling is when you go from having two or three employees to now having 15. You go from a few hundred thousand of revenue or 50 or 60,000 of revenue and you scale to 600,000 of revenue in the course of a year. And the thing is, that's not magic. There is a precise formula that you can use to do that. And it's all about processes and systems. So I show companies how to do that. Again, I don't walk around saying I can 10X this and this, that. That's not how it works either. Nobody can do that for your company. So what I do with business owners is shift their mindset. Do you really want to grow the way you say you want to grow? And if you do, let's sit down and we'll figure out a plan based on your specific needs, based on exactly who you are as a person and what you're trying to accomplish. And there are certain businesses that will never scale. I can't scale a hot dog stand to a million dollars a year because if you sell hot dogs for four dollars, you would have to sell a quarter of a million hot dogs just to get to one million dollars. But you may wind up spending nine hundred thousand on product. So that's a more difficult task than taking a company who has a $25,000 service offering and getting them to a million dollars. We can create processes. We can replicate systems to do that. And that's really the key to scaling. It's what's behind the scenes. It's not social media. It's, it's none of that. This is real work where you have to talk to real people. You have to offer real products that are sustainable and services that are sustainable as opposed to just maybe an online course that may live there for six months. The owner will make some money off of that, but they're constantly going back to the trying to start from scratch. So I'm talking about having a business where you create a machine that just generates money over and over again, even when you're on vacation. And it's a process that just works seamlessly. And you have to nurture that though. It's difficult. It's a lot of work, but that's what I do with my small businesses. Yeah, definitely. And what do you see as like some of the biggest mistakes that people are making when you come in to help them start 
scaling their business? I think it's fighting with what the narrative is on the internet. I think that's one of the biggest things. I think they are under an assumption that business is easy. One of the things that Billy Ate that drives me crazy is the first thing that someone does is they'll go and they'll form a company, typically an LLC, because that's all they know, even though there are many types. You have a C-Corp, S-Corp, many types of entities that you can create. They, they go for that one because they perceive it's easy. And the first thing they do immediately is they go find a lender who will allow them to purchase a vehicle using their company name without co-signing, without being a guarantor. And it's the worst mistake you can make as a business owner. It's the worst, one of the worst. And it's not that it's a vehicle. You don't open your door to your business and immediately the next day now create debt for your business and you have no revenue. It makes no sense whatsoever. So that's one of the biggest things is buying to these notions that now that you have a business entity, you can start just drawing money out of the company. You can start buying cars and you can go travel. And this whole idea that, oh, it's a business expense. No, it's not. Because the thing that I know is when you start working with a real accounting firm, not your cousin who did taxes in the past, when you start working with an accounting firm, they're going to question everything. And they say, we can't write off this business expense because you're using it in your personal life. It's not a business tool. So it's this thing with the young people, when I say young, not just age, but young in terms of the maturity of the business, that you have to almost deprogram, take all the bad info out and then say, no, this is how it really works in real life. Some of them will come around and say, okay, I, okay, this makes sense. And some of them will just say, that's not what I'm interested in. Because what they really want is a lifestyle business and they don't want to grow a company. And that's okay. It's okay. Some people just want a YouTube channel so they can do affiliate ads and affiliate links and things. And that's okay. Just understand that's not going to feed your grandkids. And when you're 60 years old, you cannot be on TikTok doing flips and cartwheels, getting monetized for that, right? So what are you going to build that's going to outlast you and it's going to provide for your children and your grandchildren? That legacy, what are you going to build? Because if you're doing that when you're young, the trendy stuff, when you get to a certain age, it's more difficult to pivot and to maneuver. And you may not have as much energy to build this big thing that you need to build later in life as it was when you were earlier in life. Definitely. That's big. Reprogramming what people have learned out on YouTube and all that misinformation out there. That's a big challenge. It is. To because do. business is boring. The reality, business is not glamorous. It's not. It's hard work. And if you listen to any of the experts that have been around Bill Gates, no matter what you think about him, he used to sleep in his office under his desk for years. Elon Musk, as, as glamorous as his life looks, he doesn't sleep much and he talks about it. And it's not easy. And you have the responsibility of everyone who's on payroll, not just a VA, a virtual assistant that you pay a couple hours a week. When you have people on payroll that you're paying income tax on, and these people have college tuitions and mortgages and rent and car notes and tuition to pay for their families and medical bills and insurance, it's very sobering to do that for one employee. But what about when you have dozens and hundreds and thousands? This is real life. It's real life. And if you notice, most of those guys don't have time for social media. They just don't. They're grinding. Even Bill Gates now with his foundation, the philanthropic work he's doing, he's busier than he used to be before because he flies a lot. He's all over the world doing good. So it's not easy to your point. It's different than what people perceive it to be. Different from what they perceive it to be, but would you say in the end, 
Is it worth it? That's a relative question. I'm glad you asked it that way. <laughs> explain it like this. When I closed my tech company in 2019, imagine waking up every single day and your life is email in front of a computer because everything we did, good and bad, involved email or phone call from your desk. That's how we got notices of awards. That's how we got notices of contracts ending. That was it. And had a lot of employees, a lot of responsibility, a lot of overhead, because that's what it takes when you're running a successful company. And even when you have challenges. And when I closed in 2019, even now, still, Four years later, if my wife and son and myself, he's in college during the summer, if we're out, we were in New York about a year ago, we were just sitting out in the park in the middle of the day, like 11 o'clock AM. And we were playing cards. I think we were playing Uno and then we were playing blackjack. We're just sitting there. And I leaned over to my son who was 19 at that point. I said, this is the weirdest thing. And he said, what? And I said, part of me feels just very irresponsible that during the quote unquote business day, I'm sitting out in the park in New York playing cards. And I said, real business people, what I've been doing my whole life is at that time, you're not even eating lunch. You're in the office grinding. You're calling customers. You're dealing with challenges. You're bidding on new opportunities and it doesn't go away. And when I look back now, my wife told me about a year ago, she said, this is the most present you've been in years. Even though I thought I was present, I was physically there. I never sacrificed family time, but mentally, Billy, you are always at a different place than where you physically sit because your mind is thinking you have payroll in two weeks. You have this project ending in six months but you have 10 people tied to it. How do you replace that so that in that time frame you don't have to let these people go? So your mind is always ahead forecasting and projecting. And so when you ask if it's worth it, the thing that I would say is, I think it's a very personal question for each person to answer. In my case, it was absolutely and absolutely is today worth it because of all the good I've been able to do for myself, my family, the community at large, people around the world. So even when it's tough, when I think about the charitable work we've done, it brings a smile to my face. And I think about the people who we gave jobs to, these young people that would have never gotten jobs in the tech industry at that age, to be exposed to the biggest companies on earth, to sit down in a conference room and talk strategy with these people, that brings a smile to my face. The tough times, you don't want to go through those, but I wouldn't trade them in. So it's all relative. And my answer to you, in my personal experience, it was a thousand percent worth it and continues to be today. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you were able to have that experience, be able to go through that. That's awesome. And what would you say has been your experience working with clients who are looking to grow their business? What is one thing that you'd like to have them first get started on when you guys start work together? The first thing is to really understand that they need to understand, not me. They need to understand if they're really in this for the right reasons, because it's going to be a bumpy road. It is. And if the motivations aren't correct, if the desire, your why, your end game, the end state that you want to be in, if you don't believe in that enough, and if it's not something that's big enough, you're never going to survive in business. And an example of that is if you think it's about a lifestyle and you're going to be comfortable, you're going to probably be more uncomfortable than you can ever imagine. And it's not a level of providing comfort because the amount of responsibility that you have 24 hours a day compared to a nine to five job or working for someone else, it's some people don't understand 
that it doesn't go away. It's there constantly. So the first thing is, are you really serious about doing what you're asking to do? what you're raising your hand to do. I want to be a business owner. Okay, let's understand what that really means. That's the first. If they can't convince themselves, then I'm not convinced. Then I don't have to work with them because I know the result. I know what's going to happen. As soon as there's a bump in the road, they give up. And that's okay if they decide that that this is not the lifestyle for them because it really is a lifestyle because it's probably way more of a long-term building of yourself that results in having a good business more than it is anything else. Because you as a business owner are going to evolve several different times along this journey. And we have to understand that. So as I'll sit with a business owner up front and they tell me what it is that they want to accomplish, not just in business, but life. And then here's the thing that I always ask them, are you ready to be the person who's going to be able to handle that responsibility. And that always gives them pause because they don't know who that person is going to be. And I tell them, I can't tell you what's going to be, but I can tell you who it's not going to be. It's not going to be who you are today. You're not going to have the same friends you have today. Your family is going to be strained, meaning that you're going to have to take time away from some very important events in order to do what you need to do. And you're going to have to sacrifice doing the things that you really want to do for the things you have to do. It's not going to last forever, but it's like when we were kids, Billy, and you would see your friends outside playing and you had to do chores and you would be cleaning your room, getting all that, shoving everything under the bed and you peek out the window and your friends are playing baseball or whatever they're doing. It's being okay with that and being okay. That's not going to happen once that's going to happen a lot, but you understand the, the little kids. Now, if you look back, you understood, wow, cleaning my room gave me discipline to do what I'm doing today. And maybe some of those friends that were out playing, they're a little scattered right now. So there's a gift in that process. So we have to know as business owners, what we're going to look like in five or 10 or 20 years. And sometimes people are afraid of that vision. Yeah, definitely. Where do you see yourself with your businesses and your speaking and being an author? Where do you see that going in the next six months or so? I want to do more international speaking opportunities. I love talking to people across the world because everybody has a different story. And everyone that I encounter, whether it's in India, Africa, Asia, when I speak to people in the United Kingdom, their perspective is so different. And it's just a breath of fresh air to hear their challenges and to hear their successes and to be able to come together and talk about things and find a common ground there between who they are and who you are. So definitely meeting more people around the world and sitting. I love fireside chat conversations as opposed to, as opposed to standing up and just talking at people because you get to dialogue and you get to interact with people. So a lot more of that, as far as the book is concerned, I think the thing about a book is this drag along, meaning that it's something that people are interested in, but they really want to hear the conversation. They really want that book to be brought to life. So again, I think as far as the book is concerned, book sales are one thing, but really talking about what's in the book and talking about the person who wrote the book and those experiences are what people really want to hear because they want to hear the inside story. What You talked about that, but tell me, what were you feeling at that time? So more of that, as far as the consulting business is concerned, is I don't know if I can accomplish this goal, but I'm going to take a stab, which is changing the narrative of what it takes to be a successful business person in light of everything that we hear and in spite of everything that we hear on social media is to really level set 
not the world, because I, I don't have that ego, but level set the people who really want to grow and show them a path that's obtainable for sure. Between those three things, speaking and being an author and a consultant with the consulting firm, I think I cover the target group that I'm looking to cover, which are people who are looking to move beyond where they are today to a different place. And I want to be a part of that process with them as an individual and with the company. Yeah, that's great for sure. And I love asking this question just because I get a lot of different responses and we are always learning multiple different things as entrepreneurs on a daily basis. So I'd love to hear your perspective. What are you currently learning right now? Oh my goodness. What am I not learning? Learning is, I'll just say this, learning is one thing that you have to be intentional about doing. I'm reading something every single day every day. I don't look at news on TV because I don't want the narrative that's related to that. However, I skim through articles to get the headlines to see if I want to dig into the story. So that's one thing. That's how I keep up with current affairs. I don't want to hear the pundits on either side discussing it. I'm intelligent enough to read an article and translate it myself. No problem. I'm also really digging deep into life and business strategies, meaning that I love hearing people like Deepak Chopra, for example. I like Jay Shetty. I like people, of course, Oprah is timeless, right? But I like listening to people who have achieved a level of success, whatever that looks like. And I really want to hear their perspective as they look back on where I am today. So Oprah's in her, I think she's in her 70s, I believe. And now having her look back and talk about what she thought she knew when she was 52 and what she knew for sure when she was 52 gives me a direct line of sight to what I need to take into consideration today. Do I think I know more than I know about life today? Well, according to Oprah, 15 years from now, she's going to look back and she's going to say, no, she thought she knew everything when she was in her fifties, but she now she's older. She didn't think she knew anything about what she perceived to know. So I'm really interested in that in life and how much education I have today and how much more I really have to learn. So constantly reading anything that I can, even on YouTube, I learn a lot off of certain channels when I follow certain channels, but it's a constant thing. It's constantly educating myself on life and business. And here's the other thing, Billy, and this may resonate with you. I always want to learn more about being a good parent, even though my son is 20 years old, but I'm constantly talking to older people who I know, people in my life, and just getting advice from them and getting guidance from them and listening to them talk about not just children, but their grandchildren. So I love hearing those stories. Yeah, definitely. It's a different stage age when your child is at every age, no matter whether they're just born or they're two and a half, which is how old my son is right now, or they are 20. There's different ways of parenting and you're always walking this line of just constant learning. I, it's a new experience every day, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, you got a lot of joy ahead of you at, with I a did. child that at that age, and the, and he's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing, but based on this whole conversation, it's what do you create? And this is a rhetorical question, not just for you, but all of us, the audience members. What do you create for that next generation? What foundation are you laying for them so that when you look at his eyes now and he's two and a half years old, as a father, you make a promise to him probably every single day. Hey, buddy, it's going to be, I'm going to do this and life is not going to be as hard as it would have been if I wouldn't have done X, Y, Z. So you make these promises to your kids, but then now you have to go out and build something that's going to allow you to try to keep your promise because you can't keep them completely safe from the world, but you can do things that's going to give them a foundation 
so that when they get to be 16 or 18 years old, that they know how to process information. They know how to think on their own. They don't have to think like you. And then also another aspect is financial. And people don't like to talk about money, but it's a reality. When your child decides that he's going to go to college or he wants to get married, why not be able to give him money for tuition? Why not be able to give him money to pay for his wedding? or to give him his down payment for his first home. That's a responsibility that we should embrace. And yeah, 15 years before he goes to college. So you got a lot of time to say, you know what? I don't need a new car. My six month old car is good enough. Put Dang. a few hundred dollars aside so that when he gets to that place, you are keeping your promise to make things a little bit easier for him. So it's an opportunity. This whole conversation is an opportunity. What are we doing collective to not just benefit ourselves, but the next generation? and the generation after that. And that's whether it's building a business or learning from one another. That's what it's all, that's what life essentially boils down to. That's it. Yeah, definitely. And I think for a lot of us here on this podcast, thinking about being green business impact, we're creating businesses that are hopefully looking to better the world, making it more a sustainable place for all of us to live, making it a greener place for all of us to live and really allowing us to have a world isn't all of the dystopian views that the media might tell us, but something where it's even better than that, where our carbon dioxide levels have gone back to what they were before and how we've gotten to a point where we're looking at irreversible climate change kind of thing. And I think that's a lot of us are looking for that, looking to build businesses that are going to extend beyond our generation, have a positive impact on the world. So it, it definitely coming back to that, how are you going to impact? What are you going to leave for your children? What is your impact going to be? I think that's a huge part of this conversation as an opportunity, but also this podcast is really showing and speaking to those people who are looking to make a difference in that way. So I lived in Puerto Rico for nine years. We were boaters when we were there. Just got back to stateside two years ago. So we were boaters. When you're out in the ocean and debris, somebody tossed over a can, it sticks out. It's not normal to see just a pop can in the ocean, right? I'm a scuba diver. Every now and then you'll see some debris at the bottom of the ocean. If it's 25 feet or 100 feet, you'll see some debris and it sticks out like a sore thumb. And what happens is whether I think it's going to kill all the coral reef, I don't know that. Right? I'm not a scientist. I don't know that. But let's just take from a practical standpoint. When you're out in the ocean and you're in a boat and you have props, your propellers, which is propelling the boat forward and people leave debris in the water, it tears up. Now you got a $20,000 repair on your hands, right? Because somebody dumped a bag of garbage in the ocean. And that's not a stretch because I've gotten fishing line tied up in props and it'll seize that prop up. Now you have to get a boat towed. Now you have to spend thousands of dollars to get it repaired because someone didn't care. They just tossed this thing into the water. When you drive down the street, there's a bunch of garbage on the ground. Even if you don't think it's good for the climate, let's just not pollute. Let's just be human and just put stuff in a garbage can. Hold a can of soda on the boat until you get back to the marina and then toss it in the garbage can. So there are a lot of things that we could do that have nothing to do with the environment that could be a benefit to it. But what about just being human and being respectful and not throw stuff on the ground? Things of that nature. Even if we don't have a business that's directly tied to being green or socially conscious, not just the environment, but socially conscious to help people. Here's the thing. Strive to have a business that's profitable because then as a business owner, you can take the profits from that company and do charitable work for the causes that are going to get you where you want to go. 
So for the people in the audience who may not have a green business, you can still do everything that you want to do with the environment when you get profitable, right? If you care about endangered species of animals, which is something I care about, haven't put money behind it, but that's important to me as well, then maybe you can contribute to a conservancy in a different country. But you have to have profits from your business, whatever that is, to do all of the things that you want to do around the world. So I look at it like this, whether it's green, whether you're concerned about life and human rights or anything else, that's all our right to think about and how we want to do what we want to spend our time and our despoils of war, so to speak, on. However, there's a prerequisite to that. You have to have the resources to do it because you can't preach to other people to do it because it may not be something they want to do. So we have to take the responsibility ourselves and say, okay, what can I do? If I can't convince anybody else that this is important, what can I do? You build your business or you save your personal money, you sacrifice, and then you put your money toward that resource. Because if something is important enough, you're going to put the resources behind it. So that's the thing that I would encourage with the businesses who are listening today. And they may say, really, I don't have a business directly tied to saving the world. Yes, you do. It's an indirect tie. Just become profitable and stay profitable and find a charity and find the organization that's helping with that cause and support them. So I think that's another aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just to wrap it up here with this last question, if anybody would like to reach out to you, get in touch with you, find out more about what you do, how can they reach out to you? Sure, they can go to my website, which is tonyrkitchens.com. My social links are at the bottom and I'm very responsive as well, I'll say that. Because as a business owner, how can you not respond to people who are trying to connect with you? There's a lot of businesses that do, and you'll reach out, and then it's kind of you let those leads go. Yeah, like, people that call people and they say, it, "Women, is it you?" Yeah, that's the number that you call. Yes, yes. It's, yeah, definitely. Tony, thank you so much for coming on Green Business Impact Podcast. I really appreciate having you on, talking all about what you do, your speaking business, your consulting the book you wrote. So thank you so much for coming on the show, spreading your wisdom and insights. Thank you so much. And I look forward to having you back on someday. Thank you, Billy. I appreciate it. And to your audience, I wish them all the best luck, not just in business, but in life as well. And continue to move forward every single day, no matter what's happening today, because we need you. All of our dreams are connected mm -hmm. somehow. So we need each other to make this happen. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. And if you are interested in launching your own podcast to make an even larger impact on the world, then look no farther than the podcasting platform that I use here to launch every single episode of Green Business Impact, Podbean. I searched through all the different podcasting platforms out there and the best choice by far was Podbean. They give you truly the best value and all the resources you need to spread your message to the world by easily connecting you to all the different podcasting networks like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of them. And they give you so many resources and opportunities to monetize it as well. So if you are on the fence about which podcasting platform to go with, make sure you check out the link in the description below to register your podcast with Podbean. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.